to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. I invite you to be seated for one last time as I encourage us around God's Word this morning. Thank you so much for participating through singing and through reading a scripture. It's been so powerful. We just heard the story of the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. One of my favorite lines of scripture is the angelic proclamation that accompanies the birth of Christ. It says this in the Bible, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward all men. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and on earth peace. It may be surprising for you to know that Jesus wasn't born into a world of peace. Far from it, the Messiah was born in a time of great oppression, persecution, and darkness. It says this in the scripture, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Today, I want to shed some light Uh, if you allow me to, for just a moment, on one of the central figures of the Christmas story. He doesn't get a lot of airtime, but I want to talk about King Herod this morning. King Herod, sometimes called Herod the Great, was a king in Judea who ruled the territory of Roman approval. I'm just going to read through a bunch of history, but I'm getting somewhere. Everybody say, cool? Cool. Cool. Beautiful. Thank you for your affirmation. While Judea was an independent kingdom, it was under heavy Roman influence and Herod came to power with Roman support. Now this Herod is different, it's a different Herod from the, type, from the story of the crucifixion. You know, we're like, how many Herods are there? As far as I know, at least three. Herod's rule over Judea will be continued under his son, uh, Herod Antipas. Now this Herod was not well liked by the Jews because he was only part Jewish. He did not have the approval of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council, and they publicly opposed him. So he went and got Rome's backing instead. History reports that after he got Rome's approval in 37 BC, he returned to Jerusalem with 11 battalions of infantry, 6,000 cavalry, and besieged the city of Jerusalem. And a massacre ensues. People were herded up into narrow alleys, and soldiers basically went through them. Women were raped, children were killed, people were hacked into pieces and body parts were all around the streets. Very Christmassy indeed. Herod then kills 45 of the 75 Sanhedrin who opposed him. Some would flee and hide into, in caves that were uh, on sides of cliffs. Then Herod, this ingenious, brilliant, tyrannical king, he invents new ladders and a cable system to smoke them out. And when they would appear at the entrance of these caves, he had these giant hooks to fling them out into the rocks and kill them. There will be no opposition to Herod the Great's rule. Herod acknowledged Jesus Augustus as the living embodiment of the Son of God, which was sacrilegious and blasphemous to the Jewish people. He would build and erect graven images, statues all across Jerusalem, basically polluting the land with idolatry. Throughout his reign, King Herod's domestic life was a source of growing scandal. He had at least nine or ten wives, palace intrigues and dynastic plots fueled a growing sense of paranoia in Herod. Herod had many of his own family killed during frequent purges. He was a brutal man who killed his father-in-law, 
several of his wives and sons. He killed the high priest who was his brother-in-law by hiring men to drown him while he was bathing. Herod, though, greatly loved one of his wives, Miriamie, but he was always suspicious that she loved her sons more than she loved him and always feared that she would kill him just so one of her sons could ascend the throne. Once when he went away, he left a man to guard her and her children and instructed him to kill her if he did not return. He ignored the laws of God to suit himself and choose, chose the favour of Rome over his own people. Herod's heavy taxes to pay for lavish projects forced an unfair burden on the Jewish citizens. The Jews were greatly oppressed and persecuted, not just by their Roman overlords, but by their own king as well. Tortured by insecurity, Herod's desire for revenge became increasingly lurid, and he feared that people would celebrate when he died. First century historian Josephus says this, Having entered his agonizing last illness, Herod ordered that after his death, the key noblemen in the country should be corralled into the amphitheater in Jerusalem, in, Jer- in Jericho, and slain with arrows. After he died, he gave instruction that the noblemen of the city would be rounded up into the amphitheater and publicly executed, in his words, so that people will mourn when I die. Crazy, tyrannical, insane king. Why did I just read to you a bunch of history that you can perhaps glean from a history, but why did I just read a bunch of facts? Because in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod. During the time of this insane king, during the time of great oppression, persecution, and darkness, Jesus of Nazareth was born. When we read further down the chapter, we read of the massacre of the innocents where Herod the Great, who grew paranoid of the coming king, ordered the slaughter of male children below the age of two in the vicinity of Bethlehem. There's a painting uh, that I would like to show you that depicts this horrible, horrible moment in time. The question is this, why did Jesus, our King, our Messiah, our Saviour, choose to come in such a time period, to be born in the midst of darkness, deep darkness, hopelessness, sheer hopelessness? Why? Because light shines best in darkness. Because light shines best in darkness. There can be no testimony without a test, no victory without battle, and no miracle without an impossible circumstance. The light of the world came in the midst of the greatest darkness. Jesus is not afraid, deterred by darkness, brokenness, mess, pain, and struggle. In fact, it is the very reason He came. It is the very reason He came. In Christmas, we confess that Emmanuel, God with us, Join humanity, not by swooping down from the celestial heavens in the golden chariot, but by being born, born in a stable, wrapped in sorting cloths, and laid in a manger. And like all of us, God was pushed from the womb through contractions, labor, agony, and blood to enter headfirst into this beautiful, but admittedly so horrible mess of a world. Into darkness the light came. And into the darkness that we see in our world, but also in our own lives. The light eclipses it all. Where we lack hope, He is hope. Where there is darkness, He is light. This is Christmas. The Savior is born. This is Christmas. God has come close. 
This is Christmas. He bore our sins and gave his life. This is Christmas. He rose victorious from the grave. This is Christmas. The incarnate God, whom defeated death, hell, and the grave, is here to dwell forevermore. This is Christmas. And into this world, one that we are all too familiar with, we are acquainted with its brokenness and imperfections, but more so, our own brokenness and imperfections and wretchedness. The light of the world shines into all darkness. Now, every good story must come to an end. God's story is no different, but this ending is unlike any other because it's actually a beginning. It is the moment when our king returns to finally make good on his promise to put our broken world together. The Bible tells us that just as Jesus came to earth some 2,000 years ago, he is coming back again. This time, not just as a baby in the manger, he's coming back as a triumphant king to rule and reign, to set all things right, to make all things new. In this season of Christmas, we keep in mind both Advents of Christ, both coming, the first in Bethlehem and the second yet to come, knowing that in spite of all we may face in life, we can have great hope for our Messiah is coming back again. This is Christmas. This is the reason why we sing. And it's with that that I would like to read the final passages of Scripture in this movement called Return. Reading from Revelations chapter 7, verse 9, it says this, After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Revelation chapter 21 says this, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I'd like for all of us to read the next set of scriptures together from Isaiah chapter 9. On the count of three. One, two, three. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. of His government and peace, there will be no end. Jesus, we thank You. We thank You for Your grace, for Your mercy, for Your kindness in our lives. God, we thank You. Today, we get to hope. We get to have great expectation in our hearts. Our hope is not built on wishful thinking. Our hope is built on the certainty of Your coming. God, we thank You for the first advent that has given us access. Emmanuel is with us. Emmanuel is in us. But God, our hearts pine with great expectation. Our hearts long for your coming return. God, we ask, hasten the day of your appearing. God, our hearts pine with great hope and expectation where you will come to make all things new. Jesus, you are Lord of Lords. You are the King of all kings. And today we celebrate your name your name which is far above all other names your name which is at the mention of your name every knee shall bow every tongue confess to the glory of the Father God we praise your name we praise your name can I invite all of us to stand in this place
as we sing of the name of Jesus, let's prophesy and let's proclaim to our world, to all around us, the coming return of our King. us, how he's ransomed us, 
from our darkness and brought us into His marvelous light. Let's lift our voice with hearts of gratitude, with hearts of praise, with hearts of thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. This service is not just about remembering Jesus, but this service really is a moment in time where we lift high His name, where we sing of His praise and where we meet Him. I believe that Jesus is resurrected and is present here in this place. By His Holy Spirit, He is here among us. His very person is in this place. We're not singing to an empty void. We're not talking about a man who once lived but we're singing about the Messiah King who is here present in our midst. Emmanuel, God with us is here. And I believe that God wants to meet with some of you this morning. He wants to touch you. He wants to meet you in the midst of your brokenness, your despair, your pain. I would like to pray for a couple of groups of people before we close off this time. And you know, if I can sum up what Christmas is about in one word, it will be this. Christmas is about hope. Christmas is about hope. And some of you might be going through situations in life or you might have gone through a rough patch this year and you may have lost hope or you're struggling to find hope for a new day. The biblical definition of hope, biblical definition of hope is hope is the confident expectation of good. And some of you might have trouble expecting good in your life. You might have trouble expecting the outcome, the circumstance to shift in the right direction. And I believe Jesus, who is hope, Jesus, who is the author of hope, is here in this room right now. And I believe He wants to infuse and instill hope in you once again. And so I'd like to pray for you. If that is you, with eyes closed, with heads bowed, if that is you, you, you lack hope. You know you need hope for this coming new year. You know that the circumstances abound, the obstacles seem far more insurmountable. Jesus wants to give you hope, the confident expectation of good. So if eyes closed, head bowed in this place, I would like you to lift your hands. Count of three, I would love to pray for you. I believe God is going to touch you and meet you in this place. Count of three, one, two, three. Is there anyone? Just lift your hands. Lift your hands. Great, I see your hands. Thank you. I'm just going to wait for a few more moments. Thank you. Lift your hands. Great. Great. Thank you. I see your hands. Thank you. Let's all lay a hand on our own heart and let's just come into an atmosphere of prayer, emotional prayer together. Jesus, we ask for hope. We ask for hope. That confident expectation of good. Lord, we ask that you help us see the things, see things the way you see things, Lord. God, we ask that you give us hope, birth in us a fresh perspective. God, for the circumstances and the obstacles in life that seek to blur our vision of you, God, we ask. Renew our vision, renew our sight. Give us fresh hope. Infuse in us a godly expectation of good. Lord, we know that you are hope. Lord, we know we can put our trust, our faith in you. So today as your people, we reaffirm our love for you, but also reaffirm our trust in you. We trust you, King Jesus. 
We trust you, King Jesus. We trust you, King Jesus. Come and rule and reign and lead our lives. We trust in your perfect leadership. God, we ask that we will hope in all things. Help us to do so. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, um, second group of people I love to pray for, um, you know, some of you, this might be your first time to church. So welcome. We hope that uh, you have been blessed and touched by the service thus far. And some of you, uh, you may have been to church or you may have taken some time on church. And uh, we really would love to extend an invitation for you to experience Jesus once again. Now, Christianity is not a religious club, but we really believe that Christianity is a relationship with Jesus believe that he is here, his person is here, he wants to meet with you. And so, you know, maybe, you know, you're throughout the service, you feel this sense in your heart, this expectation, this warmth in your heart. Uh, can I put it to you that, that we really believe that it is the Holy Spirit, is Jesus moving in your heart and he is beckoning you, summoning you to come to get to know him. And so, you know, Christmas isn't complete without giving an opportunity for you to experience the greatest gift the greatest gift that has entered humanity 2,000 years ago this great gift that far eclipses any wealth any acclaim any fame we can experience in life Jesus is the greatest gift and I would love to give you the opportunity to receive this gift so if that is you you know it's your first time to church not a Christian but you want to make a step towards that direction. You want to open your heart to experience Jesus, to receive Him as King, as Lord, for Him to bring hope, to bring light in the midst of your darkness and pain. I believe Jesus is able to do that in this moment. So if eyes closed, head bowed in this place, that is you. You want to take a step to get to know this Jesus who we are singing about, we are shouting about, we are reading about. You want to get to know Him as a real person. I would love to give you the opportunity with eyes closed, head bowed in this place. Can I just invite you at the count of three, just shoot your hands up ever so slightly. I'll see your hands and I'll pray for you. At the count of three. One, two, three. Is there anyone? I'll just wait for a few more moments. thank you for this great joy and privilege of singing of your name. God, we acknowledge and recognize your presence that's here. God, we do not take it lightly. God, we ask that in our own lives, Lord, that let our hearts be open to receive our King. God, we pray for our, our lives where we have gotten uh, used to routine, where we have uh, gotten callous with your presence. God, we ask in this moment, in this time, that our hearts will be open to once again receive our King afresh, we receive our King anew. God, we pray for our homes, we pray for our places of influence, that let these places be consecrated as holy ground for your presence to rule, for your presence to reign, for your presence to invade these places. God, we join with all creation and we say, let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room. And so God, we open our hearts and we say, come, 
Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come live in us. Come dwell in us. Come lead us. Come guide us. We love you. We thank you for the gift of Christmas. We thank you that you have come close so that we may know you. We thank you for this wonderful joy and privilege. We adore you. We praise you. We glorify you. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's sing. Let us somebody, hug somebody, and just love on somebody today, yes? Can you do that for me? And we have a treat prepared for you and so even as you go around, the ashes will come in and just give you a little surprise. Ben, take it away. Oh, oh, oh. 
Love. 